Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Proverbs chapter 30 for our text. We're taking it from verse 15 in the middle of the verse. And Proverbs is probably the only book of the Bible that you can start your sermon text in the middle of a verse and not be taking it out of context. At any other time, you should beware. But you can do that in Proverbs, uh, and you'll understand when you see it. You know? uh, but beginning in the middle of chapter uh, 30, verse 15, it says this. It says there that there are three things that are never satisfied... Yea, four things that say not, it is enough. So there are three things. No, he says, there rather are four things that can no longer uh, frequent the Golden Corral or the China Buffet. They have been forever banned. They can never go back because they are bottomless and they have been thrown out forever. They, they are banned from it. Anyone else can go, but there are three things, no, four And the reason why he says three things, no four, is because we're going to see that two of those things are really one. So three things, no four, that that never say it is enough. They are never satisfied. And then he tells us what they are in verse 16. He says, number one, he says, the grave. The grave, that is, the universal gathering place of the dead. The place where those that have perished go, Sheol uh, in the Bible, or hell, sometimes it's called not hell in the eternal fire sense, but just in that gathering place, but the grave never says, there has never been a memo that has been sent from the grave that says, okay, stop, we're full, okay, no more, you don't have to send anybody else, no more dying, we have got, we are at capacity, no one else, no, the, the grave has never been full, as long as there is mortals, and as long as there is birth, On the earth, in its present condition, there will be death. And thus the grave is never full. It can never be satisfied. Death will come to collect. Number two, he says, the barren womb. And and so essentially uh, the idea there is a, a woman who cannot conceive seed. She cannot bear a child. And thus she's considered barren. And there is something that happens in the psyche of a woman when she is barren, that she can never be satisfied, that there is something that has been written into the the, the spiritual DNA of every woman, that there is a desire to bear children. There's a purpose inside every woman, and unless that purpose is fulfilled, there's a longing, there's an ache that's inside that cannot be comforted. It cannot be satisfied. The barren womb, there's something that has to come out of here that can't come out of here. I'm not doing what I was created to do, and thus there's an immutable voice inside of me that's crying out in desperation, and it cannot be satisfied. You can't fix it. It it is unsatisfied. The third thing, he says, the dry ground. It is written in the creative software of the ground that God created to bring forth. When God spoke in the beginning and he said, let the dry land appear, he gave it the capacity to bear seed and it was called to bring forth trees, grass, fruit abundantly, and it's written by the voice of God into the very nature of the soil to bring something forth. And thus, the water that's necessary to make that happen is always going to be a craved substance by that ground. The water is always going to be needed. And so the dry ground will never be satisfied. It will always be thirsting for it because God has placed a purpose in the ground And it's going to long for what it needs in order to bring forth what God has made it to do. And thus it will never be satisfied. And then finally, he says, the fire. The fire that never says, 
It is enough. And if you've had any experience with fire, fire is made to combust and kindle. And once it is started, a fire will become self-feeding and it will consume everything that it touches that is flammable. And it will not be quenched, nor will it say that it's full until the fire has consumed and devoured everything in its path. And unless it's quenched by some outside source or unless it is unfed or unfueled, that fire will not stop. And so four things that never say it's enough that are never satisfied. And so of these four things, we see that there are two things that are driven to create the womb and the ground. And they are made to fulfill their God-given purpose. And they're hungry to fulfill their God-given purpose. And we see that those two things are sandwiched in between two things that destroy, and they're driven to destroy. Death is driven to destroy, and the fire is driven to destroy. So two things exist to give life, sandwiched between two things that exist to take away life. And that is the end of the proverb. That, there is no uh, given application. It is left there for you and I to meditate on that, to think on that, and to uncover and, and discover what it is that God is trying to communicate by putting this in the Bible, by saying this in such a way as he has. Now, what I know, and, and hopefully what you're discovering, what you know by now, is that pretty much every noun in the Bible, every place and thing, you know, substantial thing that's, that's tangible that we can define and describe, almost all of them are symbolic in the scripture of something that is spiritual, Our God is a God of symbols. And from Genesis all the way to Revelation, God employs common things as symbols to describe spiritual things. Now, this is probably never more true than in the book of Proverbs because we're told at the beginning of the book of Proverbs that that's the way it works. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 6 says part of the purpose of the book is to teach us how to uncover and understand the dark sayings. In other words, the secret things, the hidden things, the meaning behind what God has tucked into things. And thus we understand that God, by his very nature, is a God of parables and parallels. This is God's way of connecting spiritual truth to the physical world. I want to read to you a passage from uh, the New Testament Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. But I want to read it from the Message Bible because I like the way it puts it, it clarifies it uh, in in this sense. Because the disciples had come to Jesus and they were kind of confused because he was always teaching with parables. He was always using symbols in order to teach spiritual truth. And they said, Lord, why do you do that? And this is Jesus' answer. It's Matthew 13, 10. He says this. He says, you've been given insight... Into, I, I am not dependent on them this week. I learned last week. You have been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift, this insight. It hasn't been given to them. Whenever someone already has a heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge the people toward receptive insight. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it, listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. In other words, what Jesus is saying is I take physical things and I attach them to spiritual concepts so that people will be able to relate what they go through in life to truth that is intangible and invisible. So when Jesus relates the feeling that we feel of being stuck in life to being stuck with thorns, it becomes relatable and we can understand it. I know what it feels like to be stuck with bills and stuck with responsibilities and stuck with kids and stuck in a marriage and stuck in a job and and a life and car fix repairs and, and all of the things that we're stuck with. I know what that feels like. And when Jesus talks about beware lest you are choked out by thorns, I go, oh, now I understand. I get it. It's a physical experience that relates to a spiritual 
truth, application, and warning. And thus God likes to use symbols. Now in the text that we just read, there are four symbols that are literal things, but they all point to something spiritual. There's a greater truth that's attached to them. And so in the, 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 the verses that we read in Proverbs, both the barren womb and the dry ground represent the same thing. That's why he says, for three things, yea, for four. Yea, because the two are one. The dry ground and the barren womb are one. And what they represent is an unfulfilled created purpose. A deep ingrained sense that something is supposed to happen, something's supposed to come out of my life, and that something is accompanied by an unrest until that something is produced. The problem is, in order for that something to be produced, I'm dependent on an outside source. The womb cannot bear forth on its own. It is dependent on something coming in from the outside to make it happen. Same with the dry ground. The dry ground cannot bring forth on its own. It is dependent upon rain, which it cannot produce in and of itself. And so those two things represent the purpose that exists in what God made that must come out in order for the thing to be satisfied, but it cannot come out without God providing what is necessary in order for it to manifest or in order for it to come out. And so that's what those two things represent. Now, every single one of us fall into that category. We have been made for a purpose. The Bible says that we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Meaning that God has written into the very fiber of what we are something that he has made us for. And just like the barren womb in the dry ground, there's this immutable voice that screams out from inside of us that until that something is realized, until it is completed, until it is born forth, then there's an unrest that exists inside of us. But yet we struggle because we cannot produce it on our own. We are completely dependent on something else that comes from outside of ourselves in order to couple with us and make that happen. Now, the other two things in the parallel here are death and the fire. Now, death is the destructive force that's at work that puts a natural limitation on the time that we have in order to produce what it is that God has put in us to produce. The sound of death's footsteps are always there if you listen for them. And ironically, the older we get, the less we hear, but those footsteps get louder, don't they? Because we realize that that we are going to expire, that there's an expiration date on our lives, and thus we don't have eternity, we have a certain amount of time, and so death is always there. The other thing is the fire. Now, fire is both our enemy and our best friend. The fire that he speaks about, what it represents, it is both our enemy and our best friend. Now, I want you to think for a minute about fire. Just think about the very nature of it. It starts as a spark. It's just a small little thing. But it finds something that it can kindle, something that can combust. And then it begins to grow. A flame is burst, and then the fire begins to grow in intensity and in zeal and in heat. And then it becomes self-feeding, and it's like this, this combustion that's happening over and over again, and fire expands, and it will cons- expand continually until it consumes everything that has. It's an amazing thing to watch the lifespan of a fire. Now, there are good fires. A gasoline engine, great fire. I'm a fan of the fire that happens inside of a gasoline engine uh, because it helps us. It's harnessed, it's controlled, it's used, it's leveraged for our benefit. I'm happy for it. Also, a wood stove, very thankful for the fire in the wood stove. It's confined to the boundaries of the stove, and therefore we can feed it and feed it and feed it, and it can produce and supply for us the heat that we need. It's a good fire. A convection oven is a great fire, you know, or even a wood a wood-burning oven that cooks food for us, that's a great fire. A campfire where we can sit around and fellowship and enjoy a, a, a summer evening or a fall evening, a beautiful thing, good fires. But there are also bad fires. A forest fire is a bad fire. That's a bad fire because there's no boundaries and there's no shortage of fuel to keep that fire from expanding and from destroying everything in its path. A house fire, that's a bad fire. When it moves outside of the boundaries that we want and it begins to consume things that we want protected and that we don't want burned. A grease fire, very bad. 
because you can't even pour water on that. You know, you're just in trouble, you know, if, unless you know how uh, to do it or you have the right extinguisher. There are bad fires. Now, biblically, fire represents something. Biblically, a fire represents an interest, an action, a desire, anything really that is sparked inside of us. There's a light that turns on inside of us. And, and what happens is that something becomes a purpose in us. And then that fire in us for that something grows and it becomes a passion. And it grows with intensity and zeal and it becomes self-feeding. And all of this happens on the inside. And if you've ever been excited about something or zealous for something, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, the first time that you fall in love with someone. At first, there's just a sparked interest, but that interest becomes, you know, a little bit greater, and then it becomes a relationship, and and then it becomes almost consuming, where you're consumed by it, and it's all you can think about, and it started as something that was just like a look or an interest or a a flirt or a wink, but then it turns into something that, that is overwhelming. For some, it's a hobby. You started something for the first time. I remember the first time I ever went golfing. You know, true story. I think I, was, I could have beat Tiger Woods the first time I ever golfed. Every ball I hit went perfectly straight. The first time, no lie, from about 100 yards away, I was using an 8-iron, and I hit the ball, and it went in the hole from, a, from 100 yards away. I thought, this is amazing. There was a spark. I was like, I can golf. The second time I went golfing, I lost 40 balls, <laughs> and that fire went out. That's it. I was done. I was like, now I get it. I see what happens. There's actually a demon in the golf club that gets people addicted to golf. By, by, uh, 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 yeah. So if you're a golfer in here and you're good at it and you, you, that demon's been cast out, I'm not, I'm not against golf. For me, that's what happened. You know? But you understand, there's a hobby and it becomes an interest and then it be, can become, and it's all consuming. And all of this happens in the heart. And so too, spiritually, these things happen. And fire, in that sense, can be both our best friend or fire can be an enemy because there are good fires that can be kindled inside of us. A good fire, Jesus said that when the Holy Ghost comes, that he will bring with him a baptism of fire, that we will literally be baptized with a fire that's birthed, planted, and, and, and uh, begun by the Spirit of God at work within our lives. And so we open our hearts, Jesus comes inside, and God becomes a fire in his people. We become interested in him. Then we get to know him. Then we grow in him. And the fire spreads and it grows. And then God's people become fire in the world. He sends us out and we begin to do things in his name. And so the fire grows and it becomes self-feeding. And the fire of God in our lives adds value. It generates energy. It spreads positively inside our lives and then affecting those outside of our lives. It provides light and it brings freedom and it empowers the things in us that are good and it purifies and consumes the things that are bad, the things that don't belong in our lives. And so the good fire of God's spirit in us only adds value. You know, I think of Moses who was there on the backside of the desert and and he saw something that he had seen every day. He saw a brush fire, very common in such an arid place. Lightning would strike Something would kindle and a fire would come. A bush would burn, but the bush would burn and then the bush would consume because that's what fire does. It burns and it consumes and it goes out. But Moses saw something different one day as he was there. He saw a bush in an arid place that was burning with fire, but the fire did not consume the bush, nor did the fire extinguish. And he said, I need to see what this is because every fire that I've ever experienced in my entire life follows the same course, birth, consumption, extinguish every every fire birth consume extinguish this fire is different there's something different about this fire i need to go see it and that day moses met god and the fire of god spread from the bush and it got inside moses and it began to grow within his life to the place where one day he would stand on a mountain and his face would literally shine so brightly that he would have to put a veil over it so that people weren't blinded by the light that was coming out of the man's life The fire that wouldn't consume the bush consumed him to the point where he became fire himself. I think of the early church upon whom the Holy Spirit descended like cloven tongues of fire. And the fire of God that fell upon his people. The same fire that you and I are entitled to, that we are promised to receive if we would ask. 
The Spirit of God fell upon the church and it started a fire. And as 3,000 were saved and sold out and, 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 and on fire for Jesus for the things of God. And that number then spread to 5,000. And the fire that was going on inside was spreading outside to the point where the governing official said, if we don't do something about this, this fire is going to consume everything and we'll lose our place in our nation. And so they arose a persecution and took the collective hand of government and, and Roman authority, and they stomped out the fire, and the sparks of that fire flew throughout the Roman Empire. But rather than being extinguished, they just started more fires in the places that they were. The churches of the New Testament began, and the gospel then went out into the rest of the world because the good fire of God is a consuming fire that cannot be extinguished. But there are also bad fires. There's the good fires, but there's also the bad fires. The bad fires of interests and desires and passions that don't bring life and light and don't sustain and build up, but rather they consume and they destroy. The Bible talks about these as, first of all, being greed and covetousness. The New Testament book of James, chapter 5, verse 3, listen to what James says. He says, your gold and your silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire, for you have heaped treasure together for the last days. That when a person becomes impassioned and zealous to just acquire and greedily consume and just have money and wealth and possessions and things and they become on fire to make those things the passion of their life, they are not enriched by those things, but rather they're consumed by them. And those things don't become a benefit, but they hollow out a person's life. They start a forest fire that destroys from the inside. Another fire that's a bad fire that God talks about is the fire of sexual desire. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27, in the context of sexual sin... The writer says, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? The idea is that if you allow sexual desire to move beyond the boundaries of what God created it for, then it's going to start a fire in your life that's going to consume everything that you are from the inside out to the place where what started on the inside where no one could see has now burned the clothing off of you that everyone can see and the shame of your nakedness and of your sin will appear. Another fire that is a bad fire is the fire of anger or rage. And we read about that constantly throughout the Bible. The burning rage that can consume a person that can't get victory over anger. Another is the, an obsession or appetites or uh, appetites that bring obsessions. Obsessions for food or for movies or for input or for content or for whatever it might be. There are fires that are bad fires that consume and take life from us. When I was a kid, I remember um, just a, a, a little guy. I don't remember exactly how old I was. Um, but I was still at that age where I believed everything that my parents said. You know, so I believed that if I swallowed my gum, it would stay in my system for seven years. You know, I was at that stage of my life. You know, I, I uh, believed that if I sat too close to the TV, that I would actually go blind. That's not true. I, I believed that there was a dye in the pools that you couldn't see, but if you peed in the pool, the water would turn red and everybody would know that you peed in the pool. That's not true. If there's anyone here that's been told that, that's a lie. I believed when my parents told me that if you yank the plug out of the wall that you could get electrocuted. You can't get electrocuted if you yank the plug out of the wall. Pull it from 20 feet away if you want to. You might ruin your plug, but you're not going to get electrocuted by that. But I believed them. And I remember that there was one instance where there was a fire in the neighborhood and someone's house burned down. And I remember being right next to my mom, and I, I remember where we were. We were at the, the, the Catholic church that they brought us to, and she was talking to someone, and they said, how did the fire start? And the lady said these words. She said, spontaneous combustion. And I looked up at my mom, and I, and I said, what, what, what is spontaneous combustion? And she said, that means that the fire just started all by itself. <laughs> I don't think I slept for like a week. I thought, this is, this is a possibility. Like, this is something that could actually happen. Like, I'm laying in my bed, and all of a sudden, 
<laughs> you know, now the house is on fire. You know, this is something that I have to worry about. Then a few years later, I saw the Stephen King movie, Firestarter, that said this girl had the power to do that. She didn't like someone. She could just say fire. And then, you know, the whole thing. I was terrified of the spontaneous. I got good news for you. Spontaneous combustion does not happen. Okay, things don't just automatically burst into this uh, raging inferno of flame. There's a process that's involved in fires that happen. And so it's good news that that's not. Now, the bad news is that if a fire does happen, a fire can cause great harm. Just like a natural fire can destroy good ground, a spiritual fire that destroys life, a bad fire, can do a lot of damage. I think of David in this. And King David was a man who had a lot going for him. He had a very fertile womb, and he had a great purpose that God had for his life. He had a forest, probably more fertile and more fruitful than, than maybe any of us that are here, any man maybe that ever lived, the advantages that God had given to David. But there was a fire that he was fostering that nobody knew about. It started because he didn't have the restrictions of normal men, and he could take more than one wife, and so he took seven wives. And he could do that. No one was going to say anything because David was the king. God had said don't do that, but David didn't think that applied to him. He thought that he could control that fire that was burning, that God said don't let that fire begin. And that slow burn of fire that David thought he could control slowly but surely got out of control to the point where one night, a little bit later in his life, when he thought that he had the thing nipped, he was looking out off of his roof at a particular time and he saw something and he had the perfect storm of temptation, desire, and opportunity. And a forest fire began in David's life that destroyed everything that was pleasant and precious to him. The last 20 years of his reign, because of that forest fire, was a disaster. The fire spread. I think of another man whose name was Gehazi. Most many people don't know about Gehazi. But Gehazi was the servant or the right-hand man of the prophet Elisha in the days of the kings. And Gehazi had an amazing calling in his life and he had an amazing privilege because just like Elisha had been the servant to Elijah, we know who Elijah was, fire from heaven Elijah, Elisha became the prophet. Now Gehazi was next in line. He was following, serving with, with Elisha. But Gehazi had a secret fire. There was something going on inside of him is that he had a, a, a lust and a desire for riches and for money. And nobody knew about it. But, but the calling that he had didn't allow for that. The season that Israel was in wouldn't allow for that to be a, a good witness for the people and for the nation. And, and so it wasn't allowable. But the opportunity came for him to capitalize on a miraculous healing that took place in the life of a foreigner. And no one would ever know about it if Gehazi just went and, and worked the angles and, and just received a little bit of a payment, a little bit of, of you know, a kickback for what Elisha had done for this man. And so Gehazi goes back and he says, hey, you know, maybe we'll take a little bit of money. And the little fire for something that was out of control in his life combusted at that moment when it was fed in that way and the calling that he had was ruined and rather than becoming a prophet, he became a leper. Instead of being in the hall of faith, he ended up in the hall of failure Because there was a fire that was out of control. Now, every single one of us here has three things, yay, four, in common. Every one of us. One is that there is the womb of purpose that's inside every one of us that will not be satisfied until it brings forth. Second, within us is the fertile ground that aches to bring forth, that's thirsting towards what it needs to bear seed in the way that God has made us to. The third thing that we all have in common, or second thing, depending on how you count, is that the footsteps of expiration are closing on us daily. We are not going to live forever. And then finally, and this is what I want you to hear tonight, is that everything we are, everything we are, is susceptible to the flame. And that could be the good flame, or that could be the bad flame. Now, here's good news about that. Smokey the Bear who for some reason is eternal. Smokey will not die. Because Smokey was on TV when I was a kid, and Smokey is in my radio now, and he still sounds just as good and young as he did when I was a kid. But Smokey was right. What did he say? Thank you. That's my title, by the way, tonight. Only you can prevent forest fires. 
And there's absolute truth inside of that. And what I want to share with you is three things that God has given to every one of us, every one of us, that we might not ruin our lives by a fire that gets out of control, the fire that is never satisfied, the fire that consumes all things. Most things that become forest fires in people's lives, and this is kind of one of those paradoxes of life, but most things that become forest fires are things that are allowable and sometimes even necessary, aren't they? I mean, things that get out of control in our lives and ruin our lives often start with things that, we, that are natural, normal things. Anybody in here ever hear that cows have seven stomachs? Cows have seven stomachs. And I just think that's so ridiculous. I mean, you know, God is so efficient. You know, why, would the cow, why doesn't he just have one big stomach? Why does a cow need seven stomachs? The cow has seven stomachs. And I think, okay, God, you know, there's a reason behind everything you do. Why would you give the cow seven stomachs? Well, there are two places, at least in the Bible, where man is likened unto an ox, okay? And I believe that God did that because he's pointing, there, there's something in that that he wants to teach us. Because what I realize is that I also have seven stomachs. Not in the physical sense of that every time I eat, it goes into different places. But I have seven different stoves, ovens, appetites, or more inside of me that all of them get fed in different ways from time to time. Okay? So what I realize is that any time I'm going to take in a meal, okay? And that meal could be a food meal, but it could also be a sexual meal. It could also be a money meal. It could be a work or activity meal. It could be a rest or leisure meal. It could be an entertainment meal. I'm going to watch a movie or something. It could be a hobby meal. I'm going to spend time in the gym or playing a sport or putting together something. You know, I have all of these different appetites and I, and I have all of these different meals. And every time I take in a meal, there are two possible portions that I can take. I can take the portion that I need that is necessary and helpful, or I can take the portion that I want. And those two things are entirely different, aren't they? You you, you guys know about all these fad diets that go around. You know, you hear about them all. There was South Beach and there's, you know, everybody's trying to like find the silver bullet. That's like, this is finally the answer. I want to write a book and go on keto, you know, and there's all these different things. And, And so the latest thing is this, is that people are saying that what you really need to do, you know, it's not South Beach. It's not carb free. It's not, here's what you really need to do is that you need to eat till you're full and then stop. I have a problem with that because I haven't found full. I, I, don't, know, I don't know about you, but that, that gauge broke off a long time ago, right? The one that tells me that I'm full. I don't know what full feels like. Full is like, full is like I've already gone way beyond. I don't know what, what it is. And so the, the, what, what they're trying to say is that I need to eat with my brain and not with my belly. I need to take in according to what's necessary, not according necessarily to what's desired. I remember early on in my marriage, you know, um, my wife is an amazing cook. She likes to cook. She cooks good. She cooks a lot. And early on in the marriage, you know, she would make this food, and I would pile it on my plate, and I would watch her, and she would take a little bit, a little bit, and a little bit, and then she'd sit down, and she would just eat it, and then she'd be done. And, and I was like, what are, what are you, like, what is that? Like, I don't understand, like, what you're doing. But, but she did this on a consistent basis. And she said, well, this is what I'm doing, is I'm telling myself before I eat that I'm going to eat this, this, and this, and that's all I'm going to eat. That's going to be my entire meal. And I was like, God bless you. I don't know how you do that. Now, I learned a little bit later that she actually understood that's the way it's supposed to happen. You know, I was not doing it the right way. Okay, now, apply that to every other appetite in your life. Okay, the appetite for sex, the appetite for money, for entertainment, for leisure, for hobby, the appetite for taking in content, social media, all of these appetites. There's an appetite that my brain knows that this is the right amount and then it's time to stop. But then there's the appetite of the rest of me that says, but I just want more. And what I need to do is learn to eat with my brain and not with my belly. I need to use the God-given faculties because in my brain I already know. See, the brain deals with data. 
The stomach deals with emotions. Okay, so my brain knows already that I can't watch a movie every night. That's not practical. That's not wise. I'm filling myself too much with things. My brain knows that it's possible to get overconsumed with income and it can never be enough. My brain knows that the person that's living for money is never satisfied with money because I see it in my life every day. So my brain knows that. But if I don't listen to my brain, then I start doing things in my life and what God made to serve a place now overflows its boundaries and it becomes a fire and now it's controlling me instead of me controlling it and now I'm in the potential for danger to come in my life. And so if I want to prevent forest fires, I need to learn to take in good and God-given things that he's given me to enjoy in a way that's intelligent and rational and not emotional and according to drunkenness or overindulgence. And here's the amazing thing that most people don't know is that you and I have the choice and the freedom to do that. We don't have to obey our bodies. We don't have to obey our desires and our emotions and our cravings. We can control them. God has given us the ability to do it. I want to prove it to you. It's Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Paul says this, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members or your body parts as instruments of righteousness unto holiness. Watch verse 14. He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law, but under grace. In other words, part of what Jesus does in our lives is that he sets us free from the chains that our cravings and lusts had over us and he gives us the ability to choose who we want to serve in verse 19 he says i speak after the manner of men because of the weakness of your flesh for as you have past tense yielded your bodies servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto more iniquity so now Present tense, yield your body parts as servants to righteousness unto holiness. In other words, what he's saying is that you and I have the choice of what we're going to indulge in and to what level. And God has given us a stomach for certain things, but we need to control it so that it doesn't begin to control us. And so we need to know how to eat with our brain and not with our stomach. Point number two is that we need to learn how to soak our sawdust. I want to show you a, a quick um, video in, in, in just a second. But one of the things when we cut firewood, there's always a ton of sawdust, you know, from the chainsaw and the different things. And, when, and then we'll, we'll start a brush fire and we'll burn branches and things that can't go in the wood stove or in the woodshed, you know. And so the, there's sawdust and there's a fire. And kids love sawdust because you know why? Because it explodes. It's highly flammable. We got a slow-mo video of it. Go ahead, play it. It's very short. Man, that's fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun for kids, but it's also fun for adults. And what we realize, and you know this, I don't even have to tell you, is that there is some sawdust in our lives. There are some highly flammable, explosive things that are really fun. That if we play with them, we are playing with fire. And if we allow certain things that we know are our particular weaknesses and we allow those things to have more of a place in our lives than what they should or sometimes even any place in our lives, that it's only a matter of time before we get burned. My uncle Jim uh, started a fire with gasoline when he was, I don't know, maybe in his middle 20s, the 4th of July, and he didn't realize that on a hot and humid day, the fumes begin to immediately um, uh, evaporate quickly, and yet they don't lose their flammability. And when he hit the, the, the fire with the torch or the lighter, it exploded, and he was burned over like 90% of his body, and it just really it screwed everything up. And, and, and that can happen to every one of us because there are part of us that enjoys the passions and the feeling of the fires of things that are dangerous but pleasing in our lives. Listen to the proverb. It's Proverbs 26.20. It says that where no wood is, the fire goes out. That's great wisdom, isn't it? 
<laughs> where no wood is, the fire goes out. And I would dare to say that every single one of us has some favorite fuel sources that we keep a small bag of sawdust in our back pocket in case we think we're going to need it. Be careful. Because it can ignite in ways that can make you regret it. You say, how in the world do you do these things? You know how? Number three, point number three, and then we're done. Is that you learn to fight fire with fire. It takes a passion to beat a passion. And if everything that we are is susceptible to the flame then we will either be consumed by that which will destroy us or will be consumed by that which will enrich us. Hebrews 12, 29 says, our God is a consuming fire. And when we open our hearts to Jesus, he brings the fire of his life inside of us. Just like Moses was intrigued when he saw the the bush that burned but didn't consume. We give God access to our hearts. He comes in. And then he gives us more of himself. He begins to take up more space inside. The consuming fire of his presence burns within us. As we trust him more by yielding in obedience to him, rather than yielding to our lust, but yielding to God, his fire consumes more of our lives. And we realize that the pleasure that it is to serve him and to be free in him exceeds the pleasure from serving sin and serving our flesh and serving the fires of the world. We feed the fire more by receiving of him, taking in his word, his promise, his presence, his influence in our lives. And as we allow that fire to expand, he begins to consume our lives in a way that enriches us. Listen to what Isaiah says. It's Isaiah chapter 10, verse 17. God says, And the light of Israel shall be for a fire, and his holy one for a flame, and it shall burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day. The thorns and the briars are things in this world that choke us out. And it it says that, And shall consume the glory of his forest and of his fruitful field, both soul and body, and they shall be as when a standard bearer faints. Leave that verse up there for just a minute. Listen to what God is promising there. He's saying if you give his fire access into your heart, then he has the ability in one day to consume with his presence and his love the entire contents of what we are. His forest that he planted will be for a fruitful field, both soul and body, meaning that he can consume the mind and the emotions and the will, and he can consume even the appetites of our body. He is the one that fully satisfies. And they shall be as a stand when a standard bearer faints. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 19, and it says, and the rest of the trees, the remainder of the trees of his forest shall be few that a child shall write them. In other words, the competing affections and the competing influences are going to be so few after he gets full hold of the heart that a little child could count that there'd be so, it's just no power at all in anything that could possibly destroy us. Passion for him consumes passions for other things. And what happens in that is that we're found in him. That's what Paul meant in Philippians 3. You guys know the passage. Right Where Paul says that I counted all things lost. I've suffered the loss of all things. That I might know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. If by any means I might be made conformable into his death. And he says, he says, I chase after that for which I have been called. There is something inside of me that wants his will for my life more than anything else. And that drive pushes me towards him. And the closer that I get, the more his fire consumes who I am and the more life I experience and the more fruit that comes out of my life because of it. We yield to him the womb of our purpose. And the seed of his word makes our lives fruitful as we let him in. We yield to him the thirst of our dry ground. Lord, I want my life to mean something. I want to fulfill your will and your purpose. When I pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God, I'm not praying that because you told me to. I'm praying it because there's something inside of me that, Lord, I want what you have for me. And when I yield the dry ground of my desire to him, I hear the voice of Jesus saying, if any man thirst." Let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow torrents of living water. 
And he becomes what satisfies and causes the seed of the word in the womb of my life to bring forth and bear fruit. He's the all-consuming fire. And in the process of that, death becomes our victory and fire becomes our friend. Because death has no power over us. It's just stepping from where we are to where we're going. And fire consumes us in a way that enriches and builds us. It doesn't destroy us and level us. As we close, I want to talk to three people that I know are here tonight. There's one or two of you that are saying you're too late. If I'd heard this 25 years ago or maybe even five years ago, it would have been much, much better for me. But the forest fire has already consumed and what I stand on today is just a smoldering heap. It seems like nothing could ever come out of it again. Because I had a forest fire and I gave myself to things and I allowed things and they took me and they got out of control. And now I stand and I've missed it. And if I had heard the message before, great, but you're not connecting with me tonight because it can't happen anymore. No, 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 listen. I want you to hear God's voice this, this night to you. It's words that Jesus said. It's Matthew chapter 12, verse 20. Listen to what he said. He said, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. And what that means is that if you tonight are in a place where you feel like you are standing in a heap of smoldering ashes and all that's left of your life is the remains of a big, fat forest fire, Jesus says there's hope for you because I'm not going to be done with you because of that. Do you realize that the entire book of Psalms, well, I wouldn't say the entire, almost the entire book of Psalms grew out of the fertile soil that was created by David's forest fire? See, David had a forest fire. He leveled his ground. He took his trees right down to nothing. And you would think that his life was over, but it wasn't because the ash that remained fertilized the ground of David's heart in such a way that the psalms and the praise and the love that came out of his life because of the forgiveness of God and the restoration of God, it birthed something in him that he wouldn't have been able to grow had that fire never happened. What do I mean? I mean that if you here have experienced a fire in your life, all that means is that there is fertile soil in you for God to do something new and something great. It's for you to respond and say, God, now I need your fire. I know what that fire does. And Lord, now I need yours. There's another person here tonight I want to talk to you. And for you, the issue, it's not that there's been a forest fire, but there is very much in your life a low-level burn going on. That there are some things in your life, there's a bag of sawdust in your back pocket. There's some things that you're just keeping that fire going just a little bit, just a little bit. Controlled. I'm controlling it. I'm controlling it. I like it. I'm, I can control it. I'm controlling it. I'm controlling it. I need to tell you this. It says if a man takes fire to his bosom, his clothes will be burned. You cannot escape. You will get burned. Some of you here tonight need to soak your sawdust and say no more. I can't go down this path any longer. It's so alluring. It's my great weakness, but it's going to destroy me. And here's what you need to know is that you have the choice. It will tell you that you don't, but God tells you that you do. You can yield yourself. The third person that I want to talk to tonight, the last person, is the person that has no idea what I'm talking about at all. The person who says, I don't know your God. I don't know what this means. I don't know about fires in my heart. I don't know about seven stomachs or cows. I just know my friend invited me here tonight. Here's what you need to know. Is that there is a fire that's in this world, and that fire, if it has not touched you yet, it will. It's like Mike Tyson. I remember hearing an interview when Mike Tyson was at his prime. And no one could beat him. And people were trying, but nobody could get near him. And they were interviewing him and said, Mike, what's it like when you get in the ring? What are you thinking about? And Mike, with his real manly voice, if you know, he said, I, 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 just, I just know I'm going to get him. That sooner or later, he's going to make a mistake, and I'm going to come up with it, and, and he's done. I just know it. It's a matter of time. I don't know how, how such, a, such a big man could have such a, such a voice. That's a humor. I, you know, anyway. God bless him. I, I hope he knows Jesus. But there's a fire in this world that is at your doorstep. I want you to listen to what the Bible says, First Peter, 
or I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. It should go up on the screen. It says this. It says that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat, and the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. There is a fire, whether you like it or not, that is chasing your tail. And the only way that you can escape the destruction of that fire is to get into the fire that consumes unto life, and that is Jesus Christ. And he says, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he says, if anyone will ask, I will give to him of my Holy Spirit. And the fire of his spirit will consume in your life. And so, Father, I just want to pray tonight over this congregation of people here. And I don't know where anyone's at. I don't want to embarrass anyone who's in any of these particular places. But I do want to pray and I want to ask you, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, that to anyone that's here tonight whose heart is open to you, who has heard your voice tonight and who's heard your word and that desires, Lord, to step away from the fire that destroys and step into the light that is inapproachable, that brings forth eternal life. I pray, Lord, that you would hear the heart cry of each of those. For those, Lord, that are sitting in destruction, that they would see light of redemption and restoration. For those that are flirting with a fire that's testing, that's going to destroy, Lord, I pray that you give them power to step away from it. And for those tonight that don't know you, Jesus, would you introduce yourself in such a powerful way? Would there be an opening of the heart and a receiving of you that your presence, that your life, that your purpose, that that which satisfies might extend from heaven even to earth into this sanctuary right now? And that your voice that is good, that your purpose that is good, would be tasted, received, and realized. And that none, Lord, none, would feel the internal ache of sitting on an ash heap or of not fulfilling that which they've been made to do. It's only in you, Lord. So would you hear our prayer tonight? And would you do what only you can do? We pray for the seed of your word. We pray for the water of your spirit and of your presence. And we open our hearts to you, Lord that you would have your way in our life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Let's stand together, shall we? Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.